Welcome to another episode of the People's Law School Immigration Law Edition. We, the people. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to draw near and give their attention, for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. So, Lee, we're going to do another special episode, and we're going to talk about immigration law. It's been in the news somewhat, so we thought we'd break that down, right? Absolutely. We're going to get our, get our hands wet, so to speak, get down in the weeds a little bit. I will tell you that two things kind of jumped out at me when I tried to start learning some more about immigration law. First, there is actual immigration law, because if you hear people talk now about we need comprehensive immigration reform or whatever the buzzword is, they act as though there is no law. That's right. Uh, There is law. It's been approved by Congress. It's been signed by the president. It's been upheld in various courts at various times, and it's been on the books for years, modified at different times. The other thing that jumped out at me is that you know, over the life of this country, immigration law has changed over years. It's more restrictive at times and less restrictive at times. But we've made decisions as a nation through a legitimate process as to how many people to let in. And typically that's been done by Congress and and frankly should be. Uh, there, there are times and there are cases uh, and situations where the immigration authorities in the executive branch are allowed to for certain, um, almost uh, what I would call humanitarian reasons to grant parole, those instances are supposed to be rare and they're supposed to be, according to the law, decided on a case-by-case basis. Since August the 6th of this year, the Biden administration has granted parole to 32,000 illegal aliens, and there's no way that could have been done on a case-by-case basis. So I I would argue that the administration violated federal law. They just blanket granted uh, parole, which allows these people to come in and it like gives them some sort of status. Their status is not fully adjudicated, but it's not like not having any status at all. And um, they're entitled to certain benefits as a result of that. It seems to me to be blatantly illegal for them to be here. As a result, they should have no status. When they're uh, apprehended, they should be deported. Period. End of story. That's what the that's what the statutes call for. Um, but it's not happening, and it's not happening in numbers that are troubling. And there are words within the law, such as alien, which is what's part of the law. And that's right. Even though some people find it offensive now, and they're trying to change uh, the the way they identify individuals. Um, you see the bumper stickers, no person is illegal or something like that. But, you know, that's what the law says. That's right. Someone's breaking the law. They're alien to this country. They're a foreign national. That's what the law says. So when you're talking about people who've received parole, is it your understanding that they are still illegal? Or at that point, they have a certain status in the country, right? They have a certain status. They, they are still illegal in the sense that they came here, they crossed the border illegally. They came here without process, I think, is the term of art within the immigration laws. And and that's the key is how did you get here? If you came legally, even if you overstay a visa, you are illegal, but your status is different than if you came, if you crossed the border without process. You can help someone from an immigration law standpoint if they came, say, on a student visa and overstayed. 
you can adjust status for that person if you meet the criteria for another uh, for some other status you can adjust status for them while they're still in the country if you came illegally Cross the and border. that means without going through the process to legally enter the, the country, That's right. whether it's through refugee status or whatever it might or be. Family or, or uh, you know, some sort of job visa or, or, you know, professional athlete or whatever. If you came without permission, without proper process, then you cannot adjust. The law says you cannot adjust status for that person while he or she is in the country. They have to go. They have to return to their country of origin, and then there's a there's a number of years of a required waiting period. I think it's about ten. Uh, it might be five now. Before you could even if you marry a, a, a U.S. citizen and would otherwise qualify, and you could jump through all those hoops if you if you were here illegally, and you returned to adjust status you have to wait there's a penalty you have to wait and then you can try to adjust status um, but this parole doesn't doesn't wipe away the illegal crossing of our border but it's almost like a temporary solution in that you're here we let you go you're supposed to report for um, some sort of an interview or a court case or something in the future um, uh, to do determine what, what, what should happen to you as a result of your illegal entry into our country. But that assumes people are going to actually show up. Of course, they don't. Because if they show up and the immigration authorities follow the law, they're getting on a plane and going home. So the idea is if someone enters this country illegally, they can never become a citizen without leaving the country, going through that waiting period, and then finding a legal way to come back into the country. That is correct. So when you hear individuals talk about comprehensive immigration reform or a path to citizenship. They're talking about radically changing the law to say that people who came here illegally are going to have some ability to now become citizens with all of the rights and privileges that attend to citizens here in the United States. That's correct. Comprehensive immigration reform is code for amnesty. And that's, that's what it boils down to. Right. Which, however many there are, which and 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 there's what twenty thirty million probably, you know, you possibly hear, no one knows. No one knows. They're, they're not. They're not. They're not documented. You know, exactly. Uh, but but uh, you know the Reagan administration uh, cut a deal with the Democrat controlled Congress in 1986 where uh, amnesty was 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 given uh, with the idea that we'll draw a line, we'll give people who are here illegally amnesty under these conditions, but no more. If you come here after this illegally, you're going home. And, of course, that didn't happen. And, and that's not all on the Democrats. I mean, Republican uh, elected officials in Congress and, and, frankly, in the presidency afterwards have not done, have not even really paid lip service uh, to the immigration issue until Donald Trump. Uh, and he, I think, captured the argument, which is a country that doesn't have secured borders is not really a country. You're not sovereign, and he's the first one really to say that. And I think it, frankly, it was the issue that got him elected in '16. Now, what's remarkable is that it became an issue in 2016 because after 9/11, it should have been the front of everyone's mind because we're thinking about Islamic terrorists who came over here and flew airplanes, but with open borders. 
people can come from all over the world and get into this country. Which is what's happening now. It's what's happening now. And from a simple security standpoint, no one should come into the country that you don't know who they are. And then they have to have a reason, you know, to get a visa. Uh, And there are a number of types of visas uh, that are available, um, all different kinds. But the bottom line is you have to kind of show one of two things. You have to show how, well, three things. You have to show how it would be a benefit culturally, culturally or economically to our country for you to come. And, and I say culturally because I'm talking about artists and athletes as well. You know, you, uh, Lee Westwood can come here to play in a golf tournament because he is a world-famous competing athlete. And, of course, he has to pay taxes on what he, what he earns while he's here. Or you have to show that you have family members who are here legally that have the, the proper status to be able to sponsor you and that you have the right or the required relationship to that family member who's already here. And then he or she has to uh, swear and show that uh, he or she has the ability to support you when you get here. Because with a lot of these visas, particularly um, initially, you don't get the right to work. And so normally you come, unless it's like an H-1B or a professional visa, you come, but you don't have the right to work. So you have to, you have to kind of jump through the process, the hoops of that process to get uh, employment authorization before you can even earn money once you get here. And that's where the public charge rule comes in, which goes back decades. It came up in the Trump administration, which is that we, as you say, people have to be able to support themselves or have family that supports them so that they do not become a public charge and are relying on public support. And and then the other, I guess, sort of a a type of, of person who uh, is, is contemplated coming here under the law would be a refugee who's coming here because of persecution or humanitarian reasons. And, and that's, you know, the interesting thing about that, which most of the people at the border currently seeking refugee status are economic refugees. They're coming simply because America is the greatest country on earth and you have an ability to earn and and some freedoms and some opportunities to make more money than you can make somewhere else. But the law does not allow for economic refugees to gain entry into our country on that basis alone. The law says that refugees are admitted because of a well-founded fear of persecution due to their race, membership in a particular social group, political opinion, religion, or national origin. Well-founded fear of persecution. That's a direct quote from the Immigration and Naturalization Act. Yeah, that's a pretty high standard. I mean, just saying I'm, I'm, I'm afraid doesn't, doesn't get you there. You, you, have, to, you have to explain, and, and it has to be something that you know, is objectively visible, I guess. This isn't directly related to immigration law, but it certainly plays a role in what's going on at the southern border now. And just this week, the Biden administration canceled the remaining contracts for for border wall construction because they've taken the position they're opposed to any wall. So there's apparently millions of dollars in purchase supplies that have been sitting out in the weather. And, and the contracts require us, us the, the taxpayers of this country— we are paying the contractors who are 
obligated or tasked with building this wall $5 million a day to not build the wall while the materials and equipment sit there. To prove a political point. Right. $5 million a day. And, of course, I think it would be fair to say that many in the administration or some in the administration would be willing to consider, given what's happened in the last uh, few months, uh, would be willing to consider sort of a change of heart on the wall to some to some degree, except that the far left of the Democrat Party won't won't hear of it. And so the president is caught. He, he If he says, I'm going to do a wall, then the far left revolts. And if he doesn't do anything, we continue in this chaotic situation that we've experienced for the last few months down in, in, in Texas. So what are you going to do? It's kind of like having the proverbial tiger by the tail. That's true. I mean, you know, it all comes back to this idea, though, that we should be able to control who comes into this country. Uh, there are certain members, the far left of the Democrat Party, who they don't believe that. Either they feel sorry for individuals and want them to be able to come in, or just quite frankly, they want the political advantage that they see from new voters who they think that will, will vote for their party. Uh, in any event, though, you know, one of the things I think we're trying to impress upon our listeners is that there is a currently immigration law uh, and it needs to be followed. If you're not going to follow it, you got to change it because the, the, the president swore an oath to uphold the law. His, his, you know, article two, which is the section of the constitution that proscribes the executive branch and the duties of the president as the head of the executive back branch is really kind of short. His his constitutional responsibility solely is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Period. End of story. And those laws were passed by Congress, and his job is to make sure that they're enforced. Not to say, I like this law and I'll enforce it, but I don't like this other law and I'm not going to enforce it. That is a violation of his oath, and that gets back, sort of gets back to the Kentucky case in the Supreme Court that was argued, I guess, yesterday, where the Kentucky state government official who was initially in the case didn't want to litigate it because he or she agreed with the the party on the other side, and therefore Kentucky was left without anyone to speak for the government in, in the case, and that's when the attorney general tried to intervene. So... You know, there again, you're getting back to this issue of putting your personal beliefs with regard to what's good policy and what's bad at the forefront of your decision about whether or not to enforce that law. That's that's not a government of laws. That's a government of men. You know, I would say, Lee, and you may agree or not, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I think part of the problem between um Article one dealing with the legislative branch and Article two with the executive branch is that the conflict arises because Congress has delegated too much authority to the president and to the executive branch and to the administrative state. Absolutely. Congress could be making a lot of these decisions. Now, obviously, you know, we've got almost a 50-50 split in Congress now. So I'm not talking about just this Congress, but historically. Congress has delegated too much authority to the executive branch. They could say the president can't parole anyone 
That's right. And they haven't done that. I think you're you're exactly right. I I think that, um, you know, George Will likes to say that there was a dispute between the president of Princeton, Woodrow Wilson, and the dean of the graduate school, whose name escapes me, in about 1911 or so, maybe early 12, as to where to build the new building, or, or, or where to house, I think is more a better way to say it, where to house the graduate school at Princeton University. And Woodrow Wilson wanted a particular spot off the main campus. The dean or the board of trustees, chairman, or whoever it was, wanted a spot that was an older building on the campus where the undergrads were, and that's where they put it. And Woodrow Wilson had a tantrum and quit and got elected president and ruined the whole damn world with his progressive ideas that led us to the administrative state. That's a George Will theory, and I can't argue with the man. <laughs> he may well be right. The administrative state is 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 hurting this country in, in, in a myriad of ways. It's what leads to these onerous regulations that are put into place by members of the executive branch based upon some blanket or broad, vague authorization by Congress because Congress refuses to do its job. They'd much rather let the president take the heat, and that leaves them time to raise money to campaign. Well, I think we've probably just scratched the surface of immigration law. Um, Any final thoughts? No, but I think it's something to keep an eye on as we go forward. Um, My sense is that the immigration issue, particularly as um, as highlighted by this situation in, in Del Rio, Texas, and, and other places in Texas, is, um, is is resonating with the American people. It's 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 a it's a problem for the president, the Democrat Party, uh, and and I think that people are getting uh, frustrated with with the idea that bad things are happening when folks who are crossing our borders illegally. That's not to say that most of the people who are crossing are necessarily bad people, but there are bad people coming in. We know that. There is contraband to the um, with regard to uh, controlled substances that is coming in. It's not just in Texas. It comes in and then it, it goes throughout the country. Um, females and children are being trafficked into our country for illicit purposes th- through the immigration issue. And as you said, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite sure that terrorists probably already have. And, and it's just a question of, of, you know, how long they stay and what they do before they leave, if they leave. Um, and if they haven't, they will. Because most, of, uh, or I don't say most, I shouldn't say that, I don't know that, but a, a good proportion, a good percentage of, of the people that are coming across our southern border are not Mexican. You know, they're Haitians, they're Chinese, they're Europeans. They're from all over the world. They really are. And they, they come to Mexico various ways. Uh, a lot of the Haitians are, have come from South America, Chile and Brazil, and they've, they've taken boats and buses and trains and walked um, for portions of their trip. And they then they come through this gap in the Panama, in the mountains of Panama, that's apparently very dangerous and very treacherous from a, a physical standpoint and also from a poisonous snakes and 
panthers or leopards or something, uh, but in wildlife. And if they survive that, they get into Mexico, uh, ultimately, um, and they, they take a boat there, or a, I'm sorry, a bus, once they get through this gap into Mexico, um, and then they, they're able to get to the border, and then they come across day after was, day, night after were, night. There was video yesterday of trenches being dug in Panama to bury the, however many people had died, just you know, dozens of people who were making this trip. Mass graves. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, I guess this is my final point. Um, but, you know, when we talk about the individuals who are trying to, to get a better life, whether they're, you want to call them economic refugees or whatever you want to call them, and they have this impression that they can come here and find jobs, uh, and, and many of them do find jobs and send money back to their, their home, you know, it's important that we also know that it really doesn't matter whether they're good people, bad people, good workers, bad workers. It destabilizes the American economy. Uh, it makes it harder for the lowest skilled Americans to then go out and get jobs. That's right. That's why some of the great labor organizers like Cesar Chavez was was totally opposed to illegal immigration because he knew what it did to other people who were here. That's right. And and it, it puts a drain on our, our, our resources, hospital, medical care, law enforcement. I mean, a number of, of people in our prison system are, are illegals. Um, and, you know, if they weren't here, they wouldn't be committing the crimes, which is the one positive, but they also wouldn't be taking up space in our prisons. Um, and, and, you know, that doesn't mean we're not sympathetic to the good people that are trying to get here, but it, you're right. It doesn't matter why, you know, uh, if, if you just want to come for a better life, I mean, that's great and all, but you, you, it, it doesn't give you the right to just come. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned this, I think actually several times, um, about uh, this this idea of um, you know inviting uh, someone to come to um, a nuisance and an and attractive nuisance attractive it's nuisance. called in the law yeah and and when you when you see some of these folks interviewed at the border either before they cross or after they cross you know one of the things that 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 seems to to run throughout these uh, the, their statements is you know, they believe that that Joe Biden's election and, and comments by him and others uh, told them to come uh, and that they could. And, you know, the mass graves that you see in Panama, I mean, it's heartbreaking stuff. Uh, but these folks are so desperate that they're doing that. And it's, it's really sad, but it does destabilize our country in many ways. And it's not good for our country. And, and we can't save everyone. We can't help everyone. Right. No, we can't. And that's our introduction to immigration law. I'm sure we'll be covering this some more in the future. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review. 